see how this works. But if you have a Bible, let's open up to Deuteronomy chapter 18. As uh, today we cover uh, a really cool chapter um, in Deuteronomy. Uh, in verses 1 through 8, we're going to see the portion for the priests. Uh, in verses 9 through 14, we'll see the purity of the people. And then in verses 15 through 22, we're going to see the proof of a prophet. And all these things are very important for us. And they have applicable elements. Even over in the New Testament, we're going to see some things that I think can be very beneficial for us. We begin reading here in Deuteronomy 18. Look what it says in verse 1. It says, The priests, the Levites, all the tribe of Levi shall have no part nor inheritance with Israel. They shall eat the offerings of the Lord made by fire and his portion. Therefore, they shall have no inheritance among their brethren. The Lord is their inheritance, as he said to them. And this shall be the priest's due from the people, from those who offer sacrifice, whether it is bull or sheep. They shall give to the priest the shoulder, the cheeks, and the stomach, the first fruits of your grain and your new wine and your oil, and the first of the fleece of your sheep you shall give him. For the Lord your God has chosen him out of all the tribes to stand to minister in the name of the Lord, him and his sons forever. So if a Levite comes from any of your gates from where he dwells among all Israel and comes with all the desire of his mind to the place which the Lord chooses, then he may serve in the name of the Lord his God, as all his brethren the Levites do, who stand there before the Lord. They shall have equal portions to eat besides what comes from the sale of his inheritance. Here in verses 1 through 8, we see the portion for the priests. When the children of Israel would conquer the land, they would eventually divide it up. We'll see that as we go through the book of Joshua. And then what they would do is they would distribute the land to the different tribes. But we read here, and we've read already throughout the Pentateuch, that the tribe of Levi would inherit no land. They were to have no part or inheritance with Israel. We read here in verse 2, the latter portion, the reason. It says there again, therefore they shall have no inheritance among their brethren. It says the Lord is their inheritance as he said to them. Now in looking at that, it's kind of interesting. You wonder why is it that the spiritual leaders, why is it that the priests, the Levites, would not be able to own land, inherit land, um, to possess land? And in reading this, I think there's a couple of questions that arise. Number one, why? And number two, how? Why were they not allowed to have land? And if they had no land, how were they going to survive without a land to work on, to farm and to cultivate and, you know, flocks of animals to tend? Why, God, did you give this law to the Levites? And how then will they live? Well, we know that the tribe of Levi was the tribe of priests. Uh, They were to be the spiritual leaders spread throughout the land. And one prominent possibility for this law is that we've seen time and time again that when certain people get possessions, that those possessions actually possess the people. Now, that can't be true of anyone. We should never allow our possessions to possess us, but especially the spiritual leaders. You see, when the leaders aren't right, um, man, there's, there's pretty much no hope for the people. 
know, earlier today I was talking to an individual and he was telling me about these pastors that had fallen into sexual sin. And, uh, you know, he was saying that, you know, he at first kind of thought it was a big thing and he kind of distanced himself from them. But then he said, you know what, they seem to be remorseful and now they're, they're preaching again. And he was kind of okay with it. And he asked me, what do you think about it? And I told him, you know what, I don't think it's right. I don't think that a pastor or a leader who's fallen into sexual sin should be able to be, preached, to be a preacher anymore. I don't think it's right for a number of reasons. It violates the, 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 the pulpit. It diminishes the holiness of God. And what ends up happening is guys say, well, if you can do that, then I can do that. And what ends up happening is it becomes rampant throughout the land. And it's hard even nowadays to turn on the news and to not to hear of some pastor falling in some way. Huh? And, you know, what God expects of leaders, and we're going to see that today, is, is so much. If you aspire to that position of leadership, that God wants it to be real in your life. Now, we know here that the leaders... They were not allowed to possess land. And I think part of the reason is because God didn't want them to be distracted with those possessions. You know, Jesus put it this way. He said in Matthew 13, 22, And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, they choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. You know, undoubtedly, one of the reasons they were not allowed to own land is the temptation of materialism. You know, how many people do you know find their pride and joy and their passion in their property? A lot of people do, huh? That's like everything to them. That's where they spend a lot of their time and that's where they find a lot of their pride and a lot of their joy and the things that they possess. And God, in one sense, it's kind of cool. He just wanted to remove that temptation from them. You will be the spiritual leaders of my people. You will be the teachers of the word of God. You will be the ones to minister to them, to go look for the sheep when they're straying and to go and you know, help mend the, the broken. And I want you as leaders to be so right on. And so there's that temptation for materialism. I think we see that here. And then we read uh, again as you go through this whole thing. Notice what we read in verse 5. It says, For the Lord your God has chosen him out of all your tribes to stand to minister in the name of the Lord, him and his sons forever. You see, I think the second reason why, after the temptation of materialism, is the time that would be necessary for ministry. He says right here that the Lord, your God, he's chosen the Levites. He's chosen him out of all the tribes to stand and to do what? To minister in the name of the Lord. And so their work was not to be agricultural. Their work was to be spiritual. Their work was not to be tending sheep literally. It was to be tending and mending sheep spiritually and figuratively. And they were to be busy about that business. You know, and it's true. You know, when you look at that, that temptation of materialism, the time for ministry, those things make a lot of sense. And I think that's probably part of the reason why God did not allow them to own land. But here's the thing, and I think that for us as leaders, I know for myself when I read this, it, it really uh, ministered to me that, that but he's got to be doing his job. It says right there, for the Lord your God has chosen him out of all your tribes to take a vacation. No, it doesn't say that, right? It says to stand and to minister in the name of the Lord, him and his sons forever. 
You see, the danger is when leaders lose sight of their responsibility and the accountability they have before the Lord, especially when they are financially supported by the people. You know, to stand and to minister, the word minister, it means to serve. That's a Hebrew word, sharath. And that's exactly what the leaders are called to do. They're not called to be served. They're called to, to serve. <clears throat> Jesus said in Mark ten forty five, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You know, when you find yourself, especially, man, and to me, I just, man, I I fear God, especially knowing that you guys are out there and you're working and you're giving and you're tithing and you're, you know, sometimes even going above and beyond those types of things. You know, I find myself just paralyzed almost with this fear that, you know, I make, I got to make sure I'm ministering, that I'm really serving the Lord. You know, Jesus said in John 13, You call me teacher and Lord, you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For so I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. We need to be people willing to serve. Willing to sacrifice. You know, I think when I look at this, I think, that that's really lacking in the church today. You know, the word minister is sometimes looked at as a title and not a task. And tragically, there are so many ministers, and I would venture to say most pastors, teachers, so-called spiritual leaders, who don't really catch the concept of what it means to be a servant. They've chosen convenient over servant. They've chosen money over ministry. They've chosen personal preferences and patterns over people. They don't like the idea of being poured out and spent for the ministry. You know, and that was the life of Paul the Apostle. You know, he was poured out and spent for the Lord. You see, and the Lord here says that's the way the leaders need to be. You know, and you look at this right here and you wonder, well, why weren't the Levites, these spiritual leaders, not allowed to have an inheritance like everyone else? And I think that probably it's because of the temptation of materialism. Be so careful, you guys. You can get distracted even in the slightest ways. And yet we need to stay focused. The temptation of materialism and the time for ministry. We need to have that heart. I wanted to show you guys a photo uh, we couldn't get it up there, but the other day I ran across a photo of a shepherd, and it was an amazing photo, and hopefully I'll be able to post it on my, on my web blog. But um, it's this uh, shepherd, and he's up to his knees. I mean, it's above his knees in snow. And you see his, like his cane or his rod or whatever that thing is, you know, his staff, and it, the, underneath the caption it says, A Shepherd Looking for a sheep. And I thought about that. I'm like, man, it's too cold to be doing that, you know? I mean, for me, I like to go outside and spend time with the Lord in the garage. But the last couple of days have been a little bit warmer, but prior to that, it was kind of cold, huh? And it was hard for me to get out there. But when I saw the picture of the shepherd in the snow looking for the sheep, I said, I don't care how cold it is, Lord. I need to be out there in the garage on my face. But I think a lot of us, if it was snowing outside, we wouldn't go above and beyond. 
And yet that was, that's what God calls us to. It's a life of being spent, of being poured out for the people. Not convenient, but servant. Not patterns and personal preferences. People. All the people that God wants you to serve. You see, in looking at this right here, I think that full-time ministry definitely has its blessings. And when I say full-time, I think we're all, you know, kind of called to full-time ministry. But, man, when the Lord pays you and, you know, gives you that, you have such a heavy responsibility. But there's also a huge blessing involved. Because notice what it says right here. It says in verse 2 that the Lord is their inheritance. You know, most of us probably heard people say that the pay is not high, especially when you add up all the hours, but the benefits are out of the world, right? Out of this world. And, and we know that's so true. I mean, you know, we get paid to pray. Think about that. We get support to study the Bible. But in the end, what we find is that the, the biggest blessing of all is that God allows us to draw near to him. And if you ever get blessed or if you ever, the Lord ever calls you, and maybe I can even use this as a, as a pool, you guys, come on, you know, take that step of faith and you be involved in full-time ministry. You will find that the Lord is your portion. And it's beautiful. Psalm 11, verse 6, it says, O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. I love that. Psalm 73, 26, it says, My heart and my flesh fail, but God is the strength of my heart. And my portion forever. You know, it's kind of like, okay, you get a slice of pumpkin pie with whipped cream and they get a slice of chocolate, you know, whatever. You know, and they get the pecan pie, but you get the slice of what? You get the Lord. And, you know, and that doesn't have to be just for those involved in full-time ministry. That should be for all of us here, you guys. How are you doing in your personal relationship with God? You know, have you been too busy to spend time with him? Have you been maybe making excuses for not really having that quality time of sitting at his feet and opening up the Bible and let it, you know, just penetrate your heart and God speaks to you and then you're praying and you're interceding? Man, I encourage you, don't ever, ever lose the desire and the fight for that because that is the key for your life. I mean, I love the books that I've read and the things that people have taught me. It really has helped me, and God has definitely used that in my life. But the main things in my life have been that times in which I've been at God's feet. And when he becomes my portion, we need that, you guys. If we're going to have a relationship with God that changes the world. You see, these guys right here, they had that blessing. It's something not just for the priest, but it's for the congregation to draw near to the Lord, to hear from Him, to follow Him, that He would feed you and lead you in life. You know, why no land or inheritance for the priests? And we see why uh, temptation, materialism, time for ministry, a couple of things very important. And so you ask, well, then how is He going to survive? And we read that here, huh? It says in verse 3, And this shall be the priest's due from the people, from those who offer a sacrifice whether it is bull or sheep, they shall give to the priests the shoulder, the cheek, and the stomach, the first fruits of your grain and your new wine and your oil, and the first of the fleece of your sheep you shall give him. 
If you jump down to verse 6, it says, If a Levite comes from any of your gates from where he dwells among all Israel and comes with the desire of his mind to the place which the Lord chooses, that he may serve in the name of the Lord his God as all his brethren Levites do who stands there before the Lord, they shall have equal portions to eat as well. And so the way that they would provide, you know, we see the why and then we see the how is because the people would give to the ministry. You know, and that's what we see right here. Warren Worsby said this, God's people should be a generous people, sharing what they have with those who serve. 1 Corinthians 9, 1-4. The priests and Levites depended on the sacrifices and the tithes for their sustenance. And an unfaithful people means neglected servants. And if you read Nehemiah chapter 13, 10-14, you find what happens when the people don't give. And so the way that it works is that, you know, we become a generous congregation. And you guys, I must say, you have been, I can't speak for everyone. I don't know exactly who gives what and how much and all those types of things. But you guys have been a blessing. You've allowed me and, you know, even others to be able to minister. Hopefully we'll do it faithfully for the Lord. But it's giving, you know, and we give as well. You know, we give to the work of the ministry. And you guys never forget that as you're giving to the Lord, and notice right here it says in verse 1, they shall eat the offerings of the Lord made by fire and his portion. You know, the, the priests, they were eating from the Lord's portion, so to speak, and that became their portion. You know, some would be given to the Lord and it would be burnt there. Some would be given back to the individual who would bring the sacrifice. But then some would be given to the priest as well. And so when you give, when you put in that agape box or when you put in just different ways that you give, you know, you're giving to the Lord. That's who you're giving to. You're not giving to the individuals on staff. You're giving to the Lord. But that individual who's on staff, they, they benefit from that. And that's how they're allowed to serve in the ministry. And so I encourage you to continue to give. Continue to be generous and obedient as the Lord would lead you. Not just here in this ministry, but I'm sure there's other, that are, there are other ministries that are good and worthy of that. But pray about it and don't just randomly give, but make sure that they're ministries that honor God and teach his word. You know, And I think as we cultivate that heart to give, then God does a work even in us. Henry Ward Beecher, he said, It's not what we give up, but what we take up that makes us rich. Sir Winston Churchill said, We make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. And the people here were called to give to the Lord. You know, I think that in this church we've been definitely blessed. And the Levites, they lived on this from the Lord. And so in looking at our study today, we see first of all the portion for the priests. But then we see secondly the purity of the people. Because look what it says in verse 9. It says, when you come into the land which the Lord your God has given you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations which you will dispossess, 
Listen to soothsayers and diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed such for you. You see, they were to be a generous people and they were to be a separated people. And God here gives them this element. You know, the pool of this place that they were going into was very, very perverse. It was kind of like today. The land that we live in today is in its final stages. It is ripe for judgment. And that's why we see so many of the things in this list right here all around us. Huh? You can call the phone. You can call up a spiritist. You can go down the street and have your fortune tell. You know, you, you know it's everywhere. And, you know, that's why we need to be so careful. God said, you don't follow, and I don't want to find anyone among you who worships demons. Because that's really what we see right here. And, you know, as you go, and I remember before I was a Christian, man, it's crazy, huh? I don't know, I, want, I told my wife, or she was my wife then, I want to get my, my fortune told, my hand read, and, you know, all those weird things that um, basically open doors to demons, I was talking to Henry about this. Uh, I, I think it's called Santa Lia. You know, you guys have probably heard of that, right? Really, really bad. It's prevalent. And uh, you can go down to, you know, one of those places right there. And, and I, I guess what it is is that it came from Africa. It was, uh, you know, the, the voodoo witchcraft of Africa. And what happened was when they brought the slaves over here, uh, they were brought over by some Catholic slave traders. And so what they did was they hid it behind Catholicism. And so now you go over there and it's weird. You know, you see these saints and that, you know, behind this whole thing, it's just totally demonic. And whenever you mess around with stuff like that, and I pray there's no one here that it would even come close to that, but you're opening doors to demons. And I've counseled guys. I've tried to. I've tried to talk to individuals that are literally tortured in that demonic, you know, vice grip. And, you know, we got to be so careful. He says right here, don't even learn. He says right there in verse 9, When you come into the land which the Lord your God has given you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. Man, he didn't want to find anyone among them who is caught in such things. And you know, it's just a demonic element. D.L. Moody said, I believe the devil to exist for two reasons. First, the Bible says so. And second, I've done business with him. And there they are. They got the kids, you know, and the human sacrifice, worshiping Molech, the witchcraft, the fortune tellers, interpreters of omens. I have a book right here. It's called the Archaeological Bible. And it's crazy the things that they would do. They would mix the water with the oil and kind of look at it. And, you know, just the way they would interpret the different things, the entrails of animals, all that kind of stuff. God says, I don't want you to be caught up in that in one who conjures up spells or calls up the dead, the mediums, the psychics. All this is deeply demonic. You know, even though it appears harmless and you're like, I'm sure it's no big deal. It's just this lady and, you know, nothing's real about it. You know what? It is real. And it may appear harmless, but as the Scottish proverb goes, the devil's boots don't creak. You don't even realize it. But next thing you know, and you see these people caught up in that stuff. You know, here the Lord says, first of all, this will be the provision for the priests. This is the way that it works because I want them to love me and to lead you to me. And he says, secondly, this will be the purity of the people. 
Separate yourselves from them. Don't be like them. That's why I judge them. As a matter of fact, something that's really interesting here is we have such a stark contrast because the prohibition is coupled with a positive command. Notice it says there in verse 13, you shall be blameless before the Lord your God. You know, you may say, Manny, I don't do the demonic stuff, you know, and and you're like all proud of yourself. Well, good job, you know, I'm proud of you that, you know, you don't worship Satan. I'm proud of you that you don't do drugs because that's what sorcery is and it opens doors to demons and, you know, praise God for that. But understand, man, it's not, you know, ending there. God wants us to be blameless. That's got to be our goal. That's got to be our heart. The word blameless here, it means complete, whole, entire, sound, unimpaired. It speaks of a man or woman of integrity. Oswald Chambers said this, If God has not sanctified us and made us blameless, there's only one reason why he has not. We do not want him to. See, God has the power and God is willing, God is ready to make you a man of integrity. And if for some reason that doesn't describe your heart, it's because you don't want it. But if you want it, if you want to be that woman of integrity, if you want to be that man who's blameless, God's ready to meet you there. And God's willing to change your life. And we see it over and over again in the Bible. 49 times in the scriptures, the Bible talks about being blameless. Let's look at a a couple of them real quick in Genesis 17. Kind of wake you guys up a little bit. Now, you guys are actually doing pretty good. Did you have a cup of coffee? You did? Good job. Genesis chapter 17. Notice it says in verse 1, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. Is it possible, you guys? Is it possible to be sound and whole, upright, and unimpaired, is it possible to be an individual who's blameless before God? It is. That's why God commanded Abraham to be such an individual. If you go over to Job, real quick, Job chapter 1, here's one I think that we're more familiar with. In Job chapter 1, it says in verse 1, there was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was blameless, not upright, one who feared God and shunned evil. We see it again, this time reiterated by the Lord. It says, and then the Lord said to Satan in verse 8, have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? And then you read through this over in chapter 2. Notice in verse 3, Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? And even though he went through the hard times, and you know you go through the hard times, and a lot of times people in those hard times, they make excuses. It says right here, he still holds fast to his integrity although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. Although he went through everything that he went through, he maintained his integrity. 
And I just want to encourage you guys, you know, because I don't see it a lot in the church. And I don't know what's going on in your life, you know, but don't have any skeletons in the closet. Don't have any attitudes or mindsets that are wicked and worldly. Be different. Know that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And He can do a work no matter what you're going through. You know, God says, I don't want you to be like the world. And they're so wicked. But just make sure that you're thinking, well, you're, you know, that you're not thinking, well, I'm not as bad as they are. No, God wants you to be a lot more, you know, upright and holy. He wants you literally to be blameless. And you can read later Psalm 37, 37. And Luke chapter 1, verse 6 talks about the couple. Remember Zacharias and Elizabeth who were blameless. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2 speaks of an individual who wants to be in the ministry and a pastor, a bishop, must be blameless. 49 times we see it in the scripture. And literally, it means perfect. Jesus said in Matthew 5:48 that this has got to be our goal. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And you're like, wait a minute, Manny, does that mean sinless? No, you're probably still going to mess up. You're going to sin, right? I don't teach sinless perfection. The Church of the Nazarene, they do. We don't. We don't believe that. But when it comes to being perfect, it speaks of being, um, you know, mature. I mean, it's like, okay, how long have you been a Christian now? Well, that long? Well, question, when are you going to grow up? When? You know, sometimes you see Christians and they're young in the Lord and they just skyrocket. And it's like, wow, there's such a maturity there. There's such a love there. There's such a consistency in their walk. They don't get beat up, you know, every time the enemy comes in. And that's what God wants. He wants us to grow up. He wants us to be mature. He wants us to be blameless. He wants us to have a heart and a desire to be perfect, to be what we should be. Psalm 101, verse 2, I will behave wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. Isn't that cool? Because especially, I know some of you guys here, you go home and you're a different person. Huh. And I like that verse right there because it says when you go home, you walk the walk. Because we have to be a witness to our family. Because if you're not a witness to your kids, how are they going to serve the Lord? Witness to your spouse. Believe it or not, man. You know, and sometimes, and I don't know how it is because sometimes some spouses say, well, you know what, they show me a lot of grace. And they, and they do show you a lot of grace. But man, uh, sometimes they don't, you know, and you got you to gotta just accept it because there's high expectations for us. You know, that's why I always love the prayer of Warren Wiersbe. And I pray this all the time. I pray this for you guys. I pray this for my kids. And I, and I like it because it rhymes, but I like it because it's biblical. And I always pray, Lord, protect them. Lord, direct them. And Lord, perfect them. Make them the people that you want them to be. And I mean it. Even though I say the same thing every time I pray it, I mean it. See, because God says, listen, this is what I want for the priest. And this is their portion. This is the way they're going to be provided for. This is the way the ministry works. God help us to pray for our leaders, to give to the work of the ministry so that they can be godly men. And that they would know their responsibility to minister. And that is to serve. And then he says, when you go into the land, it's such a perverse place. Make sure you're a separated people. You're not like them. Far from the demonic realm. As a matter of fact, I want you to be in the, in the heavenlies. I want you to be blameless. 
That's what God's shooting for in our life. And that's what he says. And then the last thing we see today in our study is the proof of a prophet. And this is a very important section right here. Because notice what we read in verse 15. It says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear. According to all you desired of the Lord your God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, What they have spoken is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command to him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. And it's kind of cool how all these things kind of build on each other. You know, oftentimes the reason people are dabbling with demons is because they're seeking the supernatural, you know, some type of guidance, you know, from some sort of God, even if it's not the God with a capital G. And what that is is a capture of the occult. You know, they just want to see a sign. They just want something supernatural. And they're willing to go, you know, in crazy things. I mean, you know, you see that through life. And so Moses says, no, don't do that. Listen only to the prophets of the Lord. And listen primarily, we're going to see, to the prophet of the Lord. Here in verse 15 and verse 18, speaking of the prophet Jesus Christ. You know, we know the religious leaders of the day, they understood the words of Deuteronomy. We see that in the New Testament. Because later when John the Baptist came onto the scene, they scrutinized him. And in John chapter 1, verse 21, they asked him, Are you the prophet? They knew that here in Deuteronomy 15, 18, 15, and 18, 18, that God had prophesied that he would raise up a prophet with like a capital P. And so they asked John, Are you the prophet? Later in the same chapter, in verse 25, it says, And why then do you baptize if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? Later on, you know, things started kind of coming together. It says in John 7:40, Therefore many from the crowd, when they heard this saying of Jesus, they said, Truly this is the prophet. And when you read the New Testament, you find that Jesus is the fulfillment of this prophecy. In the book of Acts, the apostles and the disciples realized that Jesus was the fulfillment. You read Acts chapter 3, verse 22 and 23, the words of Peter. And then later, Acts 7, verse 37, the words of Stephen. It says, this is that Moses who said to the children of Israel, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him shall you hear. Now look again at verse 15. It says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet. Uh, most of them are probably capital P, right? That's the interpreter saying this is a special prophet. But notice Moses says he would be like me. And so Jesus was like Moses. Moses was kind of a typology of Christ. You know, when you look at their life, there's a lot of similarities. Uh, rulers tried to kill both of them when they were infants. Both were rejected as deliverers the first time. According to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, both Moses and Jesus were completely faithful in all their house. Both of them fasted for 40 days. Both of them had hearts and cultivated hearts of shepherds. 
And probably the primary point here in Deuteronomy is that both were mediators of a new covenant and thus both were messengers of God. You know, and that's what the people had asked for. It says right there in verse 16, according to all you desired of the Lord your God in Horeb. If you remember back in Exodus chapter 20, they heard God's voice and they said, no, no, we can't talk to God directly. We need a mediator. That's kind of what they asked for. And God gave them that mediator in Moses and then later through Jesus Christ. But notice what happens, man. You know, when you look at this uh, prophecy and God is saying, listen to Christ, listen to this prophet. It says right there in verse 19, and it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. What do you think that means? I will require it of him. What it means? Yeah, you're going to be in big trouble, right? (laughs) But it means this. God says, I'm going to deal with you personally. And so that's why it's so important that we get into the word of God, that we listen to the words of Christ. We touched on this Sunday. It's kind of interesting. Jesus being the anointed prophet, priest, and king. You know, the whole New Testament is really... God speaking through his son. you got the guys in the Gospels. You've got the church there in the book of Acts. You've got all the epistles. What that is is the last message, the final message spoken through his son. And we need to listen. You know, sometimes I think that we take the Bible lightly. And that's why, you know, we're, we're watching TV rather than reading the Bible. That's why we're doing other things. I encourage you really really get into the word. You know, to listen to the prophet and to listen to the prophets and to test them. Look what it says here in verse 20. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. Now, do we have prophets for today? Probably not. Um, I think we have the function of a prophet, but not the office of a prophet. I think that, um, you know, in one sense you might say, you know, the way it works is kind of an interesting thing. An individual who functions as a prophet, they are an individual who primarily foretells God's word. You know, back in these days it was a little different. Back then they didn't have what we call the canon of scripture. Nowadays, uh, really for us, the only solid saying of the Lord is the Bible, right? Back then, you know, God didn't have the manuscript. He had the men. And so back then, you're like, okay, this guy says he's a prophet. And he says, thus says the Lord. You know, when he's speaking, he's presuming to speak in the name of the Lord. But notice what it says right there. It shall be that whoever will not hear my words, I'm sorry, verse 20, but the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of another God, it says that prophet shall die. And so if a man said he was sent by the Lord and he wasn't, he was to be put to death. And if a man spoke a message from any other deity, he was to be put to death. And so we read, it says right there in verse 21. And so you're like, well, how do we figure it out, Lord? If you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? He says right here, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously and you shall not be afraid of him. 
You know, if this guy says, hey, this is, you know, the Lord's word and he foretells the future, but he does it with flaws. You know, not like Nostradamus. Some guys are like, oh, Nostradamus, he's a prophet. No, he's not. Not a prophet of God. But if there's any flaws, any flaws in his foretelling or foretelling of the future, God says, he's not for me. Don't be afraid of him. And you look at this right here and you're like, okay, well, we don't really have that today. But, you know, by precept, we don't. Um, every once in a while, you will get some weird guys huh, who come up and they prophesy, hey, you're supposed to marry me, you know, weird stuff like that. I, the Lord told me that. Or, you know, you know, sometimes people will come up to you and they'll say, hey, you know what? You know, I had a dream and you're going to die next week. Or, I mean, you, you know, Chuck Smith had a lot of, you know, weird prophecies. Some of them came to truth, so you test them all, right? But, but really, nowadays, though, you know, a couple of things I was looking at this by principle, like how does this apply to us? Well, one of the things... I think we see very clearly is that you've got a lot of different messages in the world today. And you've got this guy, Muhammad, who claims to be a prophet, right? And you've got other individuals and other religions out there. But what you do is when you scrutinize their message, you find that every single one is flawed. It's not the Lord. Islam is not from the Lord. Buddhism, Hinduism, all those religions, they're not from the Lord because they were not able to foretell, like the Bible, 25% is prophetic. Everything's come to pass. So for one, we know that we have the canon of Scripture. We have this prophecy right here that God gives us. But another thing that I think that the church needs today is, is discernment. You see, in looking at our study today, what we need is we need generous people, we need separated people, and we need discerning people. People who are willing to test the message, not listen to the likes of you know, Joyce Myers, that's not from the Lord. Now listen to the likes of individuals like Joel Olstein. It's not the Lord. You know, we test the messages and you listen to these guys and you kind of even, you know, watch their life. You know, I forgot the name of this one pastor, but I was, you know, doing some research on this guy. He's like known as the sex expert and he's a pastor. That's not the Lord. And it's like the church, it lacks discernment. It's like anything goes. It's kind of like I was sharing earlier. This is a holy pulpit. And the words that come out, you know, they've got to be the words of the Lord. And we as a church, we have to hold to that standard. You know, I, I, I fear for them. The Bible says in James chapter 3, verse 1, let not many of you become teachers knowing that you'll receive a stricter judgment. But I think a lot of times from the pulpit, there's loose lips. They don't realize where they stand. That's holy ground. And be so careful, you guys. We need that discernment. God's people must be a generous people. They must be a separated people. And they must be a discerning people. And today we see how God provides for the priests, how God calls the people to be pure, and how God gives us the proof of a real prophet. Test them. Are they really sent by God? Father, we thank you so much for your word, for your love, for your grace in our life. 
Lord, I just thank you. Even an Old Testament chapter in Deuteronomy, way back in the beginning, is so relevant for us today. And Lord, we just want to be a people, Lord, who would bring you honor and glory. We want to be a people who would be sold out and surrendered, Lord. And so I pray that you would touch every heart here. I pray that men would be godly men, that women would be virtuous women, that marriages would be what they're supposed to be. Lord, that single people would wait and stay pure and serve you with the time they've been given, God. That, Lord, everyone here, that we would all understand that, Lord, you are an awesome God. We love you. We need you. And we just we want you to move in our hearts. And we want you to move in this world that we live in, Lord. It seems like the whole church, we know the world is is gone, but the, the church is going the same way. And so, Lord, I pray you work in our lives. You work in our hearts. Teach us these things, Lord. And I pray in Jesus' name.